You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. Good morning, church. My name is Deborah. Um, I'll be reading for our scripture reading today. Um, it's taken from 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 1 to 10. I'll just give you a minute to turn to it, or you can refer to the screen. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. These are the true words of the living God. Well, good morning to you all. It is lovely to see you here. Uh, Welcome to ECP. Thank you, Kelly, for that wonderful announcement. Uh, I just want to honor Kelly. She uh, does multiple things all well. Uh, She heads up the RHC Mercy and Justice, and then just because she doesn't have enough things to fill a day, she also oversees the counseling ministry. So well done to you, Kelly. And very well spoken, too, by the way. You speak very well in public. Okay, we are uh, switching gears. We are about to embark on a four-part series. It's a new series called The Gospel Made Visible. The Gospel Made Visible. And in the next four weeks, we are going to look at this idea of the gospel being made visible uh, through the church. That's for us today. And then through other various uh, sacraments of the church, like baptism and communion. So that is forthcoming in this next uh, four-part series, The Gospel Made Visible. And up front, what I'd like to say about one of our ECP values is uh, value number one. We all support South Africa in the Rugby World Cup coming up. (laughs) Uh, Value number two is this idea of the gospel that leads us and shapes us and drives us and is our basis and our fuel and our energy for everything that we do. And so the gospel being made visible through the church brings many things together. It's this beautiful gospel that we love. And when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the message of Jesus who loves us. God who came in the flesh to love us and to save us and to pour himself out for us. And this gospel being made visible through something like the church is, uh, is just a huge value for us. Things that we love here. The church and the gospel which has done it. So I'm going to make three points today in line of this uh, idea of the gospel being made visible. Point number one is uh, the gospel creates churches. The gospel creates churches. How is the gospel made visible? Well, point number one is the gospel creates churches. 
How else is the gospel made visible? Well, point number two is that the church lives from, that's the preposition, the church lives from the gospel in all that we do. The gospel creates churches, number one. Number two, the church lives from the gospel. And then point number three about how the gospel is made visible is uh, that the church proclaims the gospel. The church makes it visible by proclamation, speaking it out. So those, that's a site map for uh, where we are headed this morning. So let's look at uh, our first point. The gospel creates churches. Well, this brings us to a very important point. How do you make anything? For example, sausages. How do you make sausages? So uh, this is me recently in Pennsylvania. I was taken on a tour of a sausage factory. So you can ask me about how you make sausages. I can tell you. How is anything made? This is just a... I obviously didn't trust my hygiene, so they made me dress up and all of this stuff. How is anything made in the world? Well, the question before us is not about sausages. Oh, th that's not tubes, by the way. Those are the sausages in the background. How is anything made? And the question before us is, how is a church made? How is a church made? And our answer this morning is that the gospel is the thing that makes churches. Certainly in the example here of the church in Thessalonica, which is to whom this letter to the Thessalonians is being written. So it is the gospel which makes churches, and I will uh, hopefully unpack it from this story. Well, Paul begins by, in this letter by writing to these folks in Thessalonica by giving them a quick biography or a reminder of their history of how they came into being, how this church came into being. And one of the crucial verses is in verse 5. We'll read from verse 4 together. And uh, he's just reminding them of where they've come from. He's writing sometime later. And he says to this church in Thessalonica in verse 4, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. So they are loved by God and they are chosen. Because our gospel came to you. Our gospel came to you. Our gospel came to you. First thing we know is that the gospel is something that comes to you. You don't go to the gospel. The gospel comes to you. You might feel like you were inquiring, investigating, and going to God and to the gospel. The truth is, He's pursuing you. His gospel is coming to you. We'll look at that in a moment, but let's just define this word gospel for now. Our gospel came to you. What is he talking about? What is this gospel? Well, uh, if you are new to us, uh, first of all, you're very welcome. You're our most honored guest here, if uh, you are new. A couple of months ago, we did a, a whole series on this very topic, what is the gospel? And the first answer, well, the easiest way to understand it is that the gospel is news. It's factual news. It's historical news. Not about what you have done, but about what God has done on earth. God himself came down as a man in Jesus Christ to die for your sins and to be resurrected from the dead through the power of uh, the Holy Spirit and the Father. The gospel is news. It's a factual account. It's a telling. It literally means good news about Jesus. And you can't take Jesus out of the gospel. It is a story the factual story about Jesus. So this news, this historical news about what Jesus has done, being put to death and then being raised to life to save us from our sins and to reconcile us to God that His love might be lavished upon us, comes to us and gets brought to us. And this is what happened here in Thessalonica. How did this come 
to the people in Thessalonica? That's the next question. Well, I'll give it to you in two Ps. Our gospel came to you. That's where we're at. How did it come to you? Well, two Ps. Paul and power. Paul and power. How did the gospel get all the way from Jerusalem to Thessalonica? Well, a man called Paul with a team took it, took this news to them. It came to you, if you carry on reading in uh, verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word. So it came in word. And it needs a person to bring the word, to bring the story, to bring the good news, this factual account. It came to you with first P as Paul. The second P, how else did it come to you? It came with power. It came with power. It wasn't just the telling of a story, telling of this factual story. It came with power. And he's going to break that down into three words. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. This gospel, something dramatic happened to these people in Thessalonica. Paul preached the message, but there was a burning in their hearts as the gospel came with God's power. The Holy Spirit was involved. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit starts telling the message of Jesus, it cuts you to the heart. It exposes you. It reveals yourself to you. And it reveals God to you as well. The Holy Spirit brought this message. How did the gospel come to the people in Thessalonica? It came with power. The Holy Spirit brought it. A man also came, Paul. And it also came with deep assurance or with full conviction. There's a different ways to translate that. With full conviction. These people in this room, when they heard this message, were cut to the heart, were burning with fire, and they completely were convinced and assured that this was true, that this was true. The gospel comes to you. How does the gospel come? It comes to you. I want to give uh, a quick analogy, and bear in mind, no analogy is perfect, so uh, let me risk it, of uh, this idea that the gospel comes to you, you don't come to the gospel. Now, let's just imagine you are in debt by trillions of U.S. dollars. I don't know why someone was stupid enough to loan you so much uh, trillions of dollars. But anyway, let's just work with me here. And let's just assume if you can't pay it back, the consequence is death. So you run away to Argentina as far as you can go to South America. But there's good news. You have a very rich uncle who owns 2x your debt. And he comes all the way to South America to find you. And you're in some forest somewhere in some village hiding away from your creditors, and your rich uncle comes to you and says, hey, I know you're in debt by trillions. I can get you back to zero. And not only can I get you to zero, I can put a deposit into your account of trillions positive. So you will never, ever, ever be in this situation again. All you have to do is come back with me to, let's say, Singapore, meet with my bank manager, and you've just got to sign your name on this document. I've done it all. It's all in the account. It's waiting to go. You've just got to give you just got to agree with this. Problem is, you are severely handicapped. You can't even talk. So your uncle says to you, I am going to actually carry you all the way to Singapore. And I'm going to sit you in the bank manager's office. And then I'm going to help you sign. But for some reason, you can't sign. You've got some condition. So your uncle says, I'm going to help you even put the mark on the pen. But you can't even talk. But the one thing you can do is blink. So he gets you into the bank manager's office and he says, if you want to receive this, all you have to do is acknowledge you are in debt 
and acknowledge that I've made a way to pay for your debt and to put you into positive territory. And as you receive this in blink, he then helps you sign the form. You see, the reality is you do have something to do because in verse 9 it says, uh, for they themselves report concerning the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. This gospel comes to you. God is pursuing you. One of the ways to understand that God loves you is to realize that He's pursuing you, even if it's to South America, because He loves you. And he wants to save you. He wants to draw you into His things. But you need to turn from your idols. You need to turn from the things you were trusting. You need to acknowledge your debt, and you need to turn to Him as He draws you to His heart. He is a perfect lover. He's a perfect friend. He is faithful. He's the perfect father, the perfect uncle. He draws us to you. This is the great extent of God's love. And so when this comes, we realize that God has not only done everything in procuring salvation by what he did on the cross, rising from the tomb, not only has he procured salvation, but he's also done everything to apply salvation to you by bringing the gospel to you. He's this good, and He's this loving. It's my joy to report to you this morning. Okay, then the next question is, what does the gospel do? All right, so you've received it. You've turned from idols. This, this furious power of the Holy Spirit has brought you in and totally convicted you and convinced you, and you now are brought into Jesus Christ. What happens next? Well, read with me in verse 1. Beside the greeting from the authors, to the church of the Thessalonians, and perhaps one of the biggest words in this whole pa passage is the next two-letter word. To the church of the Thessalonians, can we all say it together, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is in the Father and the church is in Jesus Christ. When you receive Jesus, you respond to Him, you repent from your sins and put your faith in Him, you are included into Christ. You become in Him. And because Christ, He is separate and distinct from the Father, because the Christ is in the Father, if you are in Christ, you can be put into the Father. Isn't that amazing? But here's the thing. It's not just you. This letter is not written to you as an individual. Joe blogs in Thessalonica, I'm writing you a letter. No, it's written to the entire church. The entire church is in Christ. So when you put your faith in Christ and others put their faith in Christ, you find yourself as a collective in Christ, in the Father. That's a church. How do you make a church? The gospel puts you in Jesus. Jesus puts you in the Father. And that's happening simultaneously with other people. So you become a church in Him. That's how God makes churches. You come together, and this is an important phrase, listen hard. You come together as a cluster of incompatibilities. You come together as a cluster of incompatibilities. A cluster of incompatibilities. So now you need to tell your person next to you that three-letter phrase. A cluster of incompatibilities. Practice. This is how God forms churches. He does it all. He came, He found you, and when He found you, He put
put you into a cluster of incompatible things, and we call that a church. You are incompatible with God. Hello? He is holy. You are not. But He fuses you together. And He puts other people with you. That's why I wanted you to say it to the person next to you. Because on some level, you're incompatible with the people around you in this room. We annoy each other. We rub each other up the wrong way. We hurt each other. We are different. We have different tastes and flavors and ideas on life and church and the world. But in Christ, He fuses and forms us together. And it's the gospel which does this. And the mere fact that we are so different, just as we are different to God, is the beauty of the church. How do you make sausages? How do you make a church? You're in Christ through the power of the gospel coming to you, which then God takes over and he forms us and fuses us together. And he makes a church from us. Which brings me to misconception number one. Misconception number one for us this morning is that church is an optional extra. It's like when you're choosing your Starhub package and you're like, nah, I don't want the Rugby World Cup channel. You can see what's on my mind. Nah, optional extra, I don't want to pay for that. I'll have the burger without the fries. I'll have Jesus without the church. No, no, what this is showing us is that if you come to Christ and you're in Him, He will fuse you and form you together with others in a glorious cluster of incompatibilities. That's grace, and that's glory to Jesus. Okay, our next point should be quicker. Don't despair if uh, you're doing a proportionality calculation as I'm going here. <laughs> I do, by the way, okay, <laughs> when I listen to people preach. Okay, point number two is, uh, how is the gospel made visible? Well, the church lives from the gospel. The church lives from the gospel. So, just an insight into Friday's. Uh, my Fridays, my day off, love Fridays. Uh, what I try and do is uh, go off and uh, uh, buy a, a cup of uh, coffee and uh, sit there and think about the deep issues of life and write my little book. And then on the way home, I stop in, uh, at my flower seller. Her name is Jenny. She's so delightful. She always gives me great prices. And, uh, and then I always pick up some flowers for Jess and go home and put them in a vase. All right. So, oh, Okay. <laughs> No, wait, don't judge me just yet, because on one particular Friday, I botched it, really, because there was this one bunch of flowers, which was, it looked like, okay, this is the best way I can describe it, it looked like white flowers had a blue highlighter smudged all over it, okay, in fairness, with, retros with the benefit of hindsight and retrospect, they were darn ugly. Anyway, it looked like they were, uh, they had been planted in some kind of blue colorant, these white flowers, and then they, they got all smeared. I tried to find a photo. The best I could do was a six-second video. So anyway, these are the, the ugliness doesn't really come out, but, but they're pretty awful. Okay, in real life, they were even worse. So just imagine with me for a moment that there's a universe in which this botanical thing can happen where you plant flowers in colorant. Let's just assume you can have a Petri dish of colorant, which is full of nutrients, and you can design the color of your flowers, just depending what kind of colorant. Okay, they got it wrong on this particular bunch. And you got different Petri dishes, and you put your flowers in, and they suck up the colorants, and it becomes different colors. Well, what I want to say is you should see yourself like that too. You should see yourself up to your thighs in the gospel. That's your nutrients. Those are the colors which are in this Petri dish. And you should see your 
torso upwards, being you in the world. You should see yourself rooted in the gospel. And you should see yourself living your life outwards, bearing the colors of the gospel. If you are in the wrong color, aka those awful blue flowers, if you are rooted in the wrong substance, your color, your smell, and your petals are going to be according. But if you remain rooted in the gospel, up to your thighs, in the gospel of Jesus, His kindness, His love, His grace, His goodness, His peace, His joy, and so on, the colors you will bear will be consistent with it. How is the gospel made visible? How is this colorant? How is the beauty and the color of the gospel made visible? It's made visible through the church as the church lives from the gospel out in the world. And that's what he's writing about in this passage. So if you follow along with me, you're going to see a Petri dish of these people rooted in some stuff. And the stuff that they're rooted in is going to then bear fruit outwards. In verse 1, he says, grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. The message you bring to people to get them into Christianity is grace and peace from God to you. The message you bring to people already in the gospel is grace and peace to you. You see, we never move beyond grace and peace. There's not one day I don't need to read a letter addressed to me from God which says grace and peace to you, Perch. You need it. And then I root myself in grace and peace. And when I'm sucking up the nutrients and the color of grace and peace, guess what I can be to other people? And when I fail to give other people grace, I fail to give other people peace, it's because I'm not drawing on the grace and the peace of the gospel. And I'm not making it visible. He prays grace and peace to them. In verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your, it's a triplet, wait for a triplet coming up, your work of faith, your labor of love, number two, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel includes faith which is given to you. Remember, he came all the way to South America to find you. He's got faith for you. The gospel has got love for you. God loves you. He pursues you. He adores you. He's smitten by you. Despite all your junk and your trash, he loves you. This petri dish of the gospel is full of faith. It's full of love. It's full of steadfastness from God. You've given up on yourself, but he hasn't. You think you're a bad Christian. He perseveres with you. Isn't that amazing? And so you need to soak yourself and stand in this petri dish of who Jesus is. He's full of grace. He's full of peace. He's full of faith. He's full of love. And he's full of enduring steadfastness towards you for his own sake. Three quick stories. There was someone, uh, and this is all in my recent, almost immediate recent past. There was someone uh, in this congregation who, this is on uh, works which come from faith, who uh, very courageously stood up to the C-suite in this person's organization recently. Do you know how much courage that takes? You need to be so rooted in faith that God is good, that He is going to protect you, that He's going to look after you, to be able to do a work of faith like that. So well done to that person. There's another person, a labor of love. 
and I'm a direct beneficiary of this, who uh, took some things off my plate, some heavy burdens I was carrying, and this person just gently, easily took some things off my plate, put them onto his or her plate. Amazing. A labor of love for someone else. Why? Inspired by this person standing in the love of Jesus to labor for somebody else, just how Christ labored for someone else. And in my third story, the endurance or the steadfastness that comes from the hope in the Lord Jesus. When I was in Boston a few days ago, I stayed with my friend, one of my oldest, dearest, most lovely friends on earth, who has two blind children. Do you know what it's like being a parent of two blind children? It is so hard. It is so difficult. These kids are so beautiful and so fantastic and so wonderful. I love these two kids. But as a parent, it is so hard. And he was talking and he was saying, because I was like, you know, is it, do you have a temptation to just withdraw from your family or to give up or just to, I don't know, what, what are the burdens? And he said, no, it's because of the hope that one day in heaven, my children will see in heaven that each day I get up and I just keep going and I keep enduring because there is a hope that is bigger than this situation. But you see, if you're not knee-deep in the Petri dish of the gospel, which is full of endurance and full of hope, your petals are not going to be that color. Then it carries on, verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. When you are in Christ, when you are in the gospel and you knee-deep in Him, you imitate Him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? You can imitate Jesus. Jesus went through affliction. Well, if you're in him, you, you're in his afflictions too. With joy, because, uh, have I got that right? I think so, yes. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So when you locate yourself and anchor yourself in the gospel, you don't move beyond it, but you remain in it. You can handle affliction with joy. And, just for good measure, you can imitate Jesus himself. How are you making the gospel visible? Well, I don't know what affliction is conquering you. I don't know what grace and peace you need to give out to others. I don't know what uh, love you need to give out, or work of faith, or endurance, or hope. Or... But these are all opportunities for you to anchor yourself in the colorant of the gospel and bear it forth and demonstrate it and make it visible. And it carries on and it says, uh, verse 9, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. When you are in the gospel, you turn from idols and you serve. You serve the king. You don't serve the church. You serve the king. And your service of him makes the gospel visible. You create a masterpiece. You are a Rembrandt. You are a Vermeer. What, whichever famous master you want to see. You are painting on a canvas this beautiful picture of what the gospel looks like through how you live life as you live from the gospel in your day to day. Okay. Point number three. How else can we make the gospel visible? We proclaim it. We proclaim it. The church proclaims the gospel, and uh, 
Okay, technically it's audible, but uh, it's also visible. It's visible and audible. How do we make the gospel visible and audible? Well, we proclaim it. And uh, let's just reread a passage here. Let's reread verse 8 to 10, uh, 8 to 9 possibly. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth, sounded forth from you in Macedonia and and Achaia. That's where they are. They're in uh, Macedonia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't even need to say anything. Verse 9, for they themselves report, people are reporting about you, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. There are two ways you can proclaim. The one is wordlessly, the one is with words. So here, what they are doing has become known and obvious and evident, visible, can we say, to so many people, that Paul is saying here, I don't even have to tell people about it because your reputation has preceded you. It's, it's ringing out across this area because you have been so touched and changed by this gospel that now people are starting to talk. And there are these rumors, there are these whispers of how the gospel of Jesus actually fundamentally changes you. A uh, quick story from my life. In 1992, about September, my mother, bless her, asked me a question. She said, what is the most important thing in your life? It was, I was at a lunch. I was about uh, age 15 at this point, And I said, without question, cricket. I, I used to have this great love for cricket. And uh, that was the most important thing in my life. It was a moment in time. Can we say that it was an idol? That was the thing that I was trusting to give me my sense of success, identity, worth, so on and so forth. Well, a month later, I turned 16. Two months later, I became a Christian. A few days later, I had a back injury. Fractured my spine. Well, a vertebra. I don't want to overdramatize it. Just L6, troublesome little uh, L5. I'll never forget which one was the trouble. Point being, I could, cricket was off the menu for the rest of life. And I had to make this decision. What is the most important thing to me? Is now loving and serving God? Or is it my hitherto former idol? And I chose God. I said to God, I'm going to follow you. Even though the worst possible thing, what I thought is the worst possible thing at that moment has happened to me, I am going to follow you. And you know what? People around me noticed. I didn't necessarily tell anyone but people noticed a huge swing in who I was. To the extent that you trade a group of friends and you find a new group of friends. Because people see. I didn't necessarily say, but just the mere impact of you turning from an idol gets people talking and people can see. How is the gospel made visible? Let me tell you, if you turn from an idol in your life, people will know. People will know. But it's not all wordless. It's not all wordless, because we also reach here, look, number one, Paul has come all the way from Jerusalem to South America, call it Thessalonica, to tell them. It's not just like, hey, I'm just going to live my life in Jerusalem and everyone is going to see it. No, he actually had to go. As good as it is to have a demonstration, he also speaks it. And in verse uh, 8, he says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you, They are actually speaking. They are actually sounding it forth. They're actually sounding it forth. 
So they demonstrate it, and they speak it as well. So, misconception number three. I missed misconception number two along the way. I've just realized. Misconception number three. Misconception number three is that I don't have to preach the gospel or proclaim it to the people around me. That's a misconception. You must live it. You must live it out. But you must also speak it. You must also speak it. How is the gospel going to be known and made visible and audible? Well, you also need to speak it. You need to live it and you need to speak it. If you're interested in misconception number two, rewind to point number two. Misconception number two is this, is that uh, maybe, Darius, we can uh, slide a man. We can, uh, you got it up, thanks. Misconception number two is this, is uh, it's a mistake to think of the gospel as a visa which just gets you somewhere into a country so that you can then do the real business of having a holiday or doing business in this country. You can think sometimes of the gospel as just the entrance requirements, the, the cost of admission, so that you get into this Christianity, and then it's the real work of being ethical and living a moral life. And you detach yourself from this petri dish of the grace and the love of God. That is a huge misconception. You don't step out of the petri dish. You remain in it. You remain in it. It's not just a visa to get you into a country. No, it is your life in the country, which is being rooted firmly established in the gospel. So apologies for that being slightly out of order, but uh, I know you're all smart enough to uh, be able to follow that. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you so much for... your gospel, which has come to us. Thank you for the people who shared this gospel with us in our own personal lives. Thank you, Lord, for changing us, for saving us, for turning us around. Lord, would you help us to make your gospel visible? Would you help us to, in this church, ECP, live out the gospel, remain rooted in it? Thank you for unleashing this power in our midst. Thank you that you do it. Thank you that you are the great creator of churches. Thank you that you are the one who makes them. We look We look to you to continue to make this church your church, this church that is in Jesus, the church that is in the Father as well. We look to you, Lord. You are the maker of all things. You are the builder of all things. Lord, help us to always be rooted in your gospel. Help us to live these lives which flow so naturally from the deep truths of the gospel. And Lord, help us to proclaim your gospel. And Father, a special prayer this morning for those who are struggling those who are finding life hard, those who need deep grace for something, would you remind them, would you re-root them in you and in who you are? Would you establish them once again in you? And Lord, a second special prayer this morning for those who don't yet know you, for those who have not yet crossed the line, for those who feel like the gospel has come to them, and yet they haven't received it. They haven't turned from their idols. They haven't put their faith in the living God. Lord, would you help them this morning? If that is you, if you 
would like to receive Christ and what he's done for you, I want you to just have a moment where you look him in the eyes. And when you say, Jesus, would you receive me? You must repent. You must turn from your sin, turn from your idols. And look at Jesus, who is full of love and grace. And if you need some help with that, then please come and speak to me or one of the other leaders. You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.